Well, hey now, and welcome to Where Wine Takes You, the nation's fastest-growing wine podcast. Here, we chat about the wine, the people, the stories that make it all happen, and all from the most exciting, world-class wine region that's at it right now. I mean, nobody's doing it better than, nobody's doing it quite like Paso Robles Wine Country. Truth. We encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you could take a second to do that, it really means a lot. It really helps a lot. Also, share with a friend if you don't mind. Uh, Today, in this episode, we celebrate Veterans Day. This episode publishes on Veterans Day. And I guess I said Veterans Day on my morning show and actually got corrected. Uh, She was sweet, though, and I don't think she knew she was talking to me. Hi, um, I've been listening to Adam last few days. I want him to know that he's, I want you to pass along if you would. He's mispronouncing veteran. He's calling it veterans, veterans. It's a three-syllable word. Can you hear me? Hey, you sound great. Yeah, and I just, I wanted him to be corrected on that. It's it's veteran. It's three syllables. Veteran. 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 So you're saying you say a three syllables, but you pronounce the T like a D. No, it's a T. Veterans. It's just veteran. 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 It's Veterans Day. Veterans Day. Veteran. Yes. And if you Google um, veteran, the dictionary, veteran, they they will pronounce it for you on their speaker. Veteran. That's how you say it. It's not veteran. 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 Veteran, there you got it perfectly. Veteran, and I, I do, it's really been bugging me the last few days. He does a great job. I love his show, but um, oh. he needs to pronounce it properly. Yes, veteran, I will, I will let him know. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much for taking the time to call and being so sweet, even when you're correcting him. He can be an idiot sometimes. No, no, he's not. Well, he's a, he's a great guy. I really appreciate all that he does. I love his show, and uh, yeah, veteran, that will do it for me today. Thank you so much. Veteran. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Veteran. She was sweet. So if I do say it incorrectly in the conversation, please know I'm a changed man. I meant no disrespect. And uh, veterans. Yes. In this episode of Where Wine Takes You, we celebrate Veterans Day and the service and the heart behind the men and women who served in our armed forces. I was reading an article about Veterans Day. Google Trends sends out the top questions people have about veterans. Some of the highlights are active duty military considered veterans. Well, technically, no. Veterans are former members of the military, not people who are still serving. Anyone who was a full-time service member is a vet unless they were dishonorably discharged. Well, why is Veterans Day on the 11th? Well, it marks the armistice of November 11th, 1918. That was the formal agreement that officially ended World War I. Now, from 1919 to 1953, it was called Armistice Day. But President Eisenhower, himself a veteran, changed it to Veterans Day in 1954. I'm just blown away uh, by the service these men and women, and I'm convinced their service, it's what makes our country so great. A country where there is a line to get into and certainly not to get out of. We are obscenely lucky to be born and live here. Uh, From a local standpoint, I mean, the more I dug into the amount of Paso producers who have served in the armed forces was enlightening to say the least. And it would take many, many shows to cover them all. That being said, we got three veterans in this episode that have dealt with far more courageous and anxiety-ridden scenarios than, say, a stuck ferment or maybe a broken pump. U.S. Navy pilot Sherm Smoot of Bella Luna Winery flew F-4 Phantom fighter jets 
He was sent to Vietnam after a previous group of his brothers were shot down. U.S. Navy pilot Hal Schmidt, a.k.a. Bull of Velatuswine, was an F-18 Super Hornet fighter pilot deployed to Iraq and more in 1999 and again in 2003. And U.S. Navy EOD technician Leon Tackett of Tackett Family Wines worked in explosive ordnance disposal. They are the experts in explosives, diving, parachuting, as well as tactical skills of a combat fighter. If you've seen the Academy Award-winning film Hurt Locker, you have an idea of the courage and bravery behind this special operations of the Navy. Listening to all three of these gentlemen, all different ages, all with different experiences, share this same special thread of not just their honorable service to our nation, but all of their symbiotic paths that share where wine took them. It's really special. All three of these gentlemen also share how their past has shaped them as winemakers and how they continue to give back to their respective armed forces communities with their wine and their brands. Well, after the conversation in our Travel Paso Spotlight, I'm going to share with you the magic of the Estrella Warbirds Museum, which is a definite must-see when you are making your next visit to Paso. All right, I show up at Bella Luna Winery. I am pointed to Sherm's Man Cave. The walls are adorned with military medals earned, displayed on shelves or trophies from his competitive flying. Even the coffee table is made of a Pratt & Whitney R1830 crankcase, which is an engine from like a C-47. Unbelievable. This is going to be a lot of fun. So let's join Sherm, Hank, a.k.a. Bull, and Leon. So give me that mm-hmm sound, woogie-bow, we pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. You all were in the Navy. Does that mean you all lived at some point on a boat in those tight? Spent some time on them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. I was never ship's company. And actually, these guys weren't ship's we were, company no, either. No, they were, we no. were all just attached, attached to, to the, the ship. Wing or attached right. to the Yeah. And we, it was just our ride to get to the show, if you will. Right. Yeah. Well, let's cheers, gentlemen. Yeah. And, absolutely. Cheers. And happy Veterans Day. Hey, everybody. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for uh, your service. I can't wait to uh, introduce folks to all the different brands. We've got three different great brands here, three different uh, great gentlemen who have uh, stories, all from the U.S. Navy, huh? Yeah. Navy. Navy. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's got to be cool because you, there is like this little, I don't know if it's a rivalry, but when you guys see, you know, brothers from maybe, maybe the Marines or the, the Army, like you guys all give each other shit a little bit, don't you? You just punch them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if you don't, you know, then you're, you're not alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very much this whole sibling thing where you're going to, you're going to mess with your uh, brothers and sisters. Oh, big time. But yeah. Always. Ultimately, if anybody goes after one of you everybody gets together yeah exactly (laughs) so before we kind of get into everything and i want to learn about you know what where you know this this, the podcast is called where wine takes you so it's going to be an incredible journey to hear how um this all brought you to wine in some respect in the end because you guys are all winemakers but also you're all uh former u.s navy men and he did different things i mean i kind of want to go around i uh, sure we'll start with you because uh, you're the statesman here tell me uh where <laughs> that's another term <laughs> for, for old why well, you know, it's like, like respect your elders do, don't you do that i mean it's yeah. just like i don't know i mean i've also known you the longest you know so you've always been super cool we're actually in sherm's man cave uh i mean like this is so awesome you got the wood you got 
the trophies. We've got to talk about your your race, your racing. There's holsters, saxophones. You got tables that are made out of jet engines. I mean, this safe. Is in you yeah. got safe in the corner. Yeah, yeah. This is yeah. This is right. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, this is probably the coolest place we've ever done a podcast. <laughs> Tell me about your service and thank you for it. Well, you know, got out of college. Uh, didn't know what I really wanted to do, and uh, I, I actually I, I put myself through school flying airplanes. So um, I was a flight instructor at Washington State University. Actually, taught Army, Air Force, and Navy ROTC students under the FIP program, Flight Indoctrination Program. So I had about almost I don't know 3,500 hours where I went in the Navy, and then uh, from there I got out and and. Uh, Went to college to be a veterinarian, believe it or not. Uh, Washington State had a great large animal vet school, and I just wasn't smart enough. Bottom line, I couldn't. I applied to vet school. Back in those days, you only needed two years of preventary medicine to apply. And, of course, after two years, I had a little over three-point average, but I wasn't even on the planet. I mean, I, and I was working hard. And uh, and, and uh, so I, I continued flying. Flying paid all the bills, of course. And uh, finally, uh, after trying after my sophomore year to get in, couldn't get in. Tried after my junior year, couldn't get in. My senior year was my fun year. I just totally screwed off. I went from a 3.0 and I think I got a 2.0 in my senior year of college. But by then I already met my mind that I wasn't going to spend the night in the labs anymore. I just wanted to fly. So I went down, signed up, applied for the Air Force, applied for the Navy. Air Force looked at me and said, well, you're a zoology major. You know, we want engineers to fly in the Air Force. And so they basically blew me off and went in the I went in the Navy, and, the, and you know, I went down to the Navy, and the Navy said, you pass a physical, you're already flying, we'll take you to New York Minute, you know what yeah. I mean? So, did all that, and, uh, and then went, uh, went, went to the Navy fl- flight program, and a little bit of an interruption, I broke my femur in four places skydiving my senior year of college, so uh, I had a metal rod in my leg, so the Navy, I was scheduled to go uh, to flight training, or to Poopyville, under the... Um, I um, can't remember what it's called, AVROC, or not AVROC, but uh, AOC program, Aviation mm-hmm. Officer Candidate Program. And so I got delayed about six months until I could get the pin taken out of my leg. Then I went in. So I, I got to flight training um, in uh, January of uh, 71 and um, went through. And because, uh, you know, the Navy told me to forget everything, learn about flying, but it helped me a lot up until the point where these kids came off the farm. I mean, instruments and all that stuff. I already had all this, you know. So I did really good on the basic part of flying. And then it was really amazing to me. By the time I got to advanced training, here's a guy that's never even saw an airplane, has maybe 180 hours, 200 hours, and he's kicking my ass in the bombing runs and, and formation and that. I'm, I'm sitting there going, this is amazing to me. The Navy flight program, I still think, is the best flight program in the world. Anyway, so got my wings and uh, was slated to go to VF-92 when they came back from cruise and there was a cruise shot down in Vietnam and VF-21. So they uh, just finished the rag and I was just going to party in San Diego for a few months and uh, go to my normal squadron. And they called me up and said, you're going to the boat, uh, so I qualified in the Coral Sea, still as an ensign. I was still an ensign. Qualified in the Coral Sea and uh, did my night traps, and the following Tuesday, got done like on a Friday, and the following Tuesday, I was on airplane out of McCord, heading heading to join the Ranger on station, wow. on Yankee station. So, I got over there, and um, 
just at the end a linebacker too didn't you know i'm not a big war hero i don't you know i never never got to to go out there and do a lot of heavy duty i mean i would have loved to see him make and got to shoot at one you know of course but uh you know mostly just tar cap and bar cap and and that kind of stuff and because i was a nugget i mean they you know by that time they were all saying we're not gonna let you go do anything stupid you know so so anyway the war ended and i came back and did my time in the navy and and uh, uh wrote the formation syllabus in flight refueling and then it's co-authored the CQ syllabus on the new Lockheed S3, trained the first Cotterway instructors on and that was a trip. But, you know, those guys in stoops going 80 knots, and now they're going in, in a jet airplane. That was a lot of fun, but I had a lot of fun doing that. And then I tell everybody I went to the dark side. I, I, uh, I stayed in the Phantom community flying in the reserves and in VF-301, and also while I was training the S-3 pilots, I was uh, I did all the NARF flying on the new uh, the Navy and the and Marine Corps RF-4s coming out of NARF, Naval Air Rework Facility. So I did the test flights on those. So I kept my hand in the Phantoms. Then I went to the dark side, got in the reserves, and the dark side is, of course, the airline job, and I did that for 28 years. And, and you know, I've been fortunate enough to fly all kinds of airplanes and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, because your flying didn't stop then. Then you're, like, doing pylons and you're doing races. Yeah, I got into racing and flying warbirds. Very fortunate about that and, and uh, still do it. I mean, I'm 70, 74 now, and I'm flying a nice airplane that's nice and stable and goes around about 400. I'm not going around at 480 or 490 anymore, so that's a good thing. But, well, but, you just did something that was remarkable for the anniversary of D-Day. Oh, yeah. We flew a C-47 from Pass Rebels all the way across the Atlantic in 2019 for the 75th anniversary of Normandy. Yeah. And then from there, since our airplane called Betsy's Biscuit Bomber, a DC-3 C-47, she also participated in the Berlin Airlift. So we went to Berlin for the 70th anniversary of, uh, of the Berlin Airlift. So we did a bunch of stuff over there. Had a great time. It was a great trip. Um, unfortunately, I had this vision of flying over there, participating in all the fun, and coming home first class on an airliner. But the insurance company found out that I was going to do that, and they called up and said, you're not, we can't, unless Smoot's on that airplane, we're not insuring the airplane. Oh, like, man. Some, like some magic guy or something. You know? Right. But, so I had to fly it back you know, oh. westbound. Of course, it's in the headwind. Yeah, it takes, you, my ass off takes you forever. All that stuff. So so what did? who did you plan on flying the well, I had trained. I trained three captains in the airplane, so they were bona fide captains, and they flew. They and they were probably excited about doing it too. Well, they were going. Yeah, they were excited about doing it. So basically, what I did is I let them fly back, and I oh. sat back in the first class section. There you go. <laughs> you got your first C-47 class ride in my hammock. Yeah. You know, <laughs> drink it. Well, you can actually look up. Uh, we followed you. You know, we had you on the the radio uh, right before then, and we followed the journey. The, there was some great coverage of it throughout. It was really a special thing. So uh, that's awesome. Well, it's so good to connect with you again, and thanks for having me uh, back out Glad here. Glad you're here. You're we'll, always welcome here, Adam. That's really sweet of you, because Bella Luna is a, is a special winery. We're going to talk about the wines that you and your good friend, Kevin, who also served. Yes, sir. He also, was in the Army, and he would love to be here, but it was his wife's birthday, and oh. they had planned a trip, and and uh, he said, man, if I had my choice, well, No, no, yeah, 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 no, I got you, I got you. No, no, we can't say that. Better with you guys drinking it, you know. Right, right, right. Well, uh, we'll talk about how Bella Luna came to be and then w- what it is now because it's, there's a lot of evolution and we talked to you about you know just kind of like you and Kevin handing off the the, the reins in a way we, we saw the sale with like Peachy Canyon and, and, and the boys and um, there's a lot of mixed family members here because we got uh, I just met uh, Lucas, Lucas yeah. and I haven't met Kevin's daughter yet but of course I know oh. Jimmy and Shelly so 
Well, that's her office right there. And that's her desk right there. Yeah, I don't know how you. I don't know how they carved out a piece of the man cave. I think you're, nah. you're very generous. But uh, Hal Schmidt, uh, another friend, Velatu Swine. We'll talk about the brand in a minute. But let it uh, let me know. Uh, also uh, from the U.S. Navy. Uh, also from the Navy. Interestingly, uh, like Sherm, almost went in the Air Force, but the Air Force said, "Oh, now you have to be an engineer." And I said, "That's that's silly." So, you called, the same thing he did. Called up, called really? up the Navy. Same thing. To you? Same thing. <laughs> said, you could be an electrical engineer. And they Navy still could can't be fly with a ship. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's certainly a, it's a different mindset for flying. Pardon uh, me. Yeah, no, you're uh, that out. No, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was crazy. I, I joked with the Navy uh, guys. I'm like, hey, so I could I could be an English major. And they're like, as long as you have an aptitude to fly and there's a spot for you, good to go. Yeah. So ultimately, I was a Russian major uh, and got went straight to flight school. So I uh, went to went to Notre Dame in northern Indiana. Navy paid for that through NROTC, uh, Reserve, Reserve Officer Training Corps. I uh, went down to Pensacola, which is where just about everybody, I think everybody does start there at, at, uh, in some capacity. Uh, it was a little bit of a backup. So I went to NAS Oceana and flew with a composite fighter squadron for a year before I even you know, really checked into flight school. Mm. So I left that with 300 hours in F-16s and F-5s and uh, a bunch of the uh, very in- incredible fighter guys there in Oceana beating me up every day in the airplane and uh, teaching me at the same time all sorts of good stuff. So fortunately, flight school went relatively well. A lot of that was based on that experience in Oceana. Um, was able to get winged and found my way to California. All of my all of my family's on the East Coast, so the, the Navy's like perfect. California is what it is, right? Uh, so I, I came into the moor just south of Fresno, about an hour and a half from here, and uh, started flying the F eighteen. And so I did that. Started in 1995. Uh, ultimately, went to the Kestrels of 137. Uh, deployed on the Const- USS Constellation, an old oil burner in 97 and 99. Uh, from left there, I went to went to Top Gun. Was fortunate to be a Top Gun instructor for a few years. Uh, transitioned to the Super Hornet, the F-18E. Uh, back to sea on the Nimitz for a little bit. Uh, a couple uh, deployments there. Back to Top Gun and uh, ultimately left the Navy. Boy, started in '92 and left in the. Uh, what technically did the term Top Gun mean? Uh, you know, Top Gun. They just they adopted it. It's. Uh, you know, in, interestingly, in history, you can you can find it all the way back to the uh, I think it was the late 1800s when it really was a, about shooting, uh, different types of shooting competitions. But when the it was really the F4 guys in late night late uh, 60s, because really Top Gun the initial class and the instructors were formed in 1969. They were having some problems in Vietnam in terms of how the U.S. airplanes were doing relative to the the adversaries. And the, the kill ratios just weren't acceptable. And so they had to, to focus training. So they, they ultimately got a group of guys together out of, out of Miramar, down in God's country. And they, they put together a training syllabus to teach guys how to fight the airplane. And ultimately, it was very successful. And at, at, they were technically the Navy Fighter Weapons School. But everybody, just like, I hate to say, just like the movie, they called it Top Gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what it's still known as today. Uh, one word, all caps. Yeah, Top Gun. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. That's incredible. So the F-18, and then you, you flew, and then they, they changed it a little bit, like almost like 2.0, like they souped it up? They did. So it, it was a, kind of an interesting, I think, trick on Congress, because they're like, hey, it's they go from the F-18 A through D models, and then they add the E and the F, and it's just the Super Hornet. It's, it's just a, a small... 
uh, incremental change to the airplane, but turns out it was a, a radically different airplane, although they look similar. It it's was bigger, 33% larger, uh, substantially more avionics, payload, uh, fuel capacity. It, it, was a, it was a brand new airplane. They got Are a gib. Now you got a gib now. You're letting ROs fly in the back of those things. and uh, they, they do. They had. Are they uh, calling them what? Tweeko? Wizzos. Wizzos. Yeah, weapon yeah. systems operators were the, the back seat, so they had a, they had a, a single seat version and a two seat version. So when you're in the single seat version, you are flying the plane and you're aiming and you're firing and you're doing everything. Exactly. You're flying the airplane and operating the weapon systems. Yeah. And then in the two seat airplane, typically there's a, there's a division of responsibilities that makes. How many different efficient. weapons do you have on an F 18? You got guns, uh, you got missiles. Yeah, we didn't have guns on the F 4, and, and I think it was a, because of guys like you and Top Gun screaming at them saying, we need guns. Yeah, finally put guns back on. So the airplane that replaced the Phantom was the F-14, basically, and it had guns. It had a 20 millimeter. It cannon had 20 millimeter cannon. Yep. And then from there, the, the Navy decided that you know taking guns off of fighters was not a good idea. Until here's here's the everything coming full circle until the F-35, and they the Navy. Kept, no. the, kept the gun out of the F-35. Did they really? Air Force, Air Force has a gun. Uh, it, You've got to be kidding it's, me. It's funny when well, my first... Uh, pot it in no time. That's yeah. disgusting. <laughs> like I said, they, got, they have a gun pot on it that's great. It's a 25-millimeter well, we gun pot. It always yeah. jammed and never worked. And it, it, it's a hell. But a good, old, good old procurement. Yeah, right. Oh, it's, it's crazy. We had huge battles. There used to be guys from that would go from Top Gun out to the... Uh, the procurement meetings and, and just get, they get thrown out. Well, was like, it two million moving parts all done by the cheapest bidder? Is it like, and, and forgive any comparison again because I did not serve so, but I, I think of like being in the air and, you know, eluding and doing these things. Are there certain fundamental things you learn or is it like, like boxing or the other fundamentals, but when you kind of do it your own way and you have your own talents, you become, you know, it's almost your, more your unique individualism that makes you that that much better of a fighter pilot. Does that make sense? You know, it really is a, I think anything that's a high performance operation is going to be a combination of, of science and art. And you're going to have specific things that you've been trained to do in certain maneuvers or techniques, but then it, it's really up to you as the operator to, or the pilot to right. uh, put them all together in a coherent manner. We'll talk about Velatus coming up in a bit. Also got some wines here. Looking forward to meet, uh, meeting Leon Tackett. I have uh, not, I mean, I guess you, you were in the Crush studio before, yeah. but we certainly have not had a conversation like this, so thank you very no, much for taking the time. Yeah. You bet. No. And uh, thank Glad you. To be here. Thank you for your service. It's fun to like hang out with the guys for a minute. Oh, absolutely, yeah. How often do you guys get a chance to do all this? Or? Well, it's the first time I think I've met, maybe I've met you before. But yeah, we've been I, here before, but unfortunately, it's years and years ago. And we, yeah, and I've known him for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. obviously know how. Yeah, we've done another. We did another um, Zoom, Not I don't know, last year. Oh, with Chris Toronto in Paso Wines. Yeah, we have Chris and nice. John Pianetta and stuff. So. Right, because yeah. he's another Navy guy. Yeah. So you have um, very different Navy service. Completely. And yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm fascinated by this too, just equally just in a different way. Talk about what you did in the in the Navy, and thank you for your service, Leon. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, well, I, I started 1980, um, right out of high school. I was gonna, I was gonna go work for Boeing. <laughs> they were paying jet mechanics like 15 bucks an hour, and I was making two. But uh, that didn't happen. I ended up uh, in anti-sub warfare in helicopters um, for first first few years. But uh, I found a better calling in the EOD world, explosive ordnance disposal. So you're in the back of a helicopter yep. that's taking on submarines. Basically, yeah, we're chasing them, you know, looking for them, you know, with sonar and, yeah. uh, you know, whether it's active or passive, uh, magnetic anomaly detectors, you know, that can pick up metal in the, you know, under the water. And is it easy to find them? Uh, 
Some of them, yeah. Some of the old Russians from back, you know, they were still cruising around in 1960 vintage stuff that you could hear from f- literally 4,000 miles away. So. No way. Oil slick. Or, or, or the oil slick on the surface. Yeah, like, oh, there they are. <laughs> or even they have to pop up. I mean, some of them are old diesel boats, so they have to pop, the, you know, put the oh. snorkel up, and you find the feather on the, on, the, on the surface and, you know, follow them around that way. So, But uh, they've gotten a little quieter since then, but, uh, yeah. So tell me what EOD means. So it stands for Explosive Ordnance Disposal, um, and it's basically it's your military's bomb squad, and it's uh, it's the only true joint um, specialty in the military. So all four services attend the same school down in Florida, um, and then the Navy, you know, being the prima donnas that we are, we get to go to dive school, <laughs> and we also get to uh, do the underwater ordnance. So for the Navy, EOD school is about a year long, um, where the other three services is roughly six months, give or take. Okay. So EOD, and forgive me if this is, again, off, I yep. think of like the movie Hurt Locker. Yep. Is this kind of like Hurt Locker? Well, I mean, that Hurt Locker was based on EOD. I mean, that's all it was. It was Army EOD. Okay. Um, um, I will tell you, there's, you know, obviously Hollywood had their way with that movie. Sure. Um, but it was a great movie to bring recognition to the community. So that's what the, us old guys liked about it. The young kids hated it um, because it was a bunch of BS, for lack of a better word. Um, that guy that, whatever, Jeremy Renner, whatever that yeah. guy was, he would have been beaten up every day. Really? So, oh, yeah. Oh, man. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have made it. wouldn't have lasted very long. Oh, he wouldn't have lasted long at all. So. How to come? come? <laughs> well, not, yeah. yeah. What, was this, what, what about him? Like, what about him made well, you want to punch him? because there's prima donnas, and then there's, like, assholes. Yeah, yeah, Sorry yeah. He that. was kind of an asshole. He was well, an we asshole. Well, we have that in yeah. community, too. You know, it's not well, just... absolutely. It's not just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I know, for sure. But this guy was, like, you know, on... Yeah, I guess Top Gun movie, and you know, Bull and I were not in the asshole category. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> At least according to us, assholes. Yeah. We'll tell you. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, I think so. Are, are, am, am I thinking correctly if I think of like this big, um, you know, I mean, like suit you have to wear, and yeah. like you're approaching what is, by all accounts, an explosive, and need to figure out how to, you know, make it not explode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good Basically. God. Yeah. How your take me to your first one. Well, I mean, there's there's a few. I mean, honestly, um, God, 25 years ago, well before Iraq, actually after the first um, war, most of my stuff was civilian um, and taken care of. We had knuckleheads in the Navy. I mean, I went to the barracks. I don't know how many times because some kid was building pipe bombs in the in his barracks. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so that's scary. Um, another one, a kid was uh, going to light up his uh, his graduation ceremony in high school, and he had all these uh, propane bottles all the way around the entire perimeter of the uh, high school. And what year is this? Uh, this would have been like ninety. Two. So this is even like before. He was do it for fun, or was he trying to kill people? It was for fun. It was going to be this big fire light <laughs> show. You know, because this is even before, school. say like Columbine so or anything. All. It was fortunately he was a dumbass and he didn't know how to build bombs, and we were able yeah. to take care of him easy. But um, yeah, it worked. Out. It what worked is out that? Okay. You know, because every you know. Think of how many movies are predicated on that scenario, right? Sure. Where you have something counting down, yep. and either you're clipping the blue or the red wire. Never cut the red wire, right? Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it comes down to it. I mean, are you sweating? Are you thinking? Of, were you were you thinking of your your sweetheart? And and, and what, what are you doing in, in your head? I mean, you know, honestly, you're just remembering your training. You yeah. know, you went down there. You, you look at it. You're like, oh, this works. You know, you almost know instantly how it operates okay um especially if you've already taken an x-ray of it or something like that you know how yeah. it works and it's it's not that big a deal like do you think if, if you you know you remember it's the that? hidden ones that get you really yeah 
Because remember that one a few years back, there was a guy who was like a pizza. It was like this thing. He had a pizza delivery thing, and he went to a pizza, and he had this me- he had this big thing on, and he's, now he's sitting in the middle of the road, and it was like a big deal. They made a lot of shows on it, and he had this like had the wreck nate or the around his collar. Yeah, that went off, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, he didn't does, make it. Yeah, does that mean that that guys <laughs> they just left him sitting out there? They didn't know what to do with him, and it yeah. timed out. And have you ever gotten up to one of these? Obviously, you're still here, thank God, and you're a handsome dude, so obviously nothing like disfigured you or anything, but um, do you ever stand in front of one of these things and it blow? No, no. I've never even been, even just doing regular demo and stuff like that, I've been, had a very lucky, blessed career. And when you talk about underwater uh, training, you'll be submerged and learn how to deconstruct these things underwater. Yeah, not so much IEDs in that aspect, although we did train on it. Um, a lot of this stuff would be like for shipboard, what they call limpets, you know, the, the sappers come in and they'll attach an explosive device to the hull of the ship, um, removing those, or it's underwater mines, sea mines. Um, and torpedoes yeah do you still kind of keep up with you know the i mean obviously everyone's got an opinion on afghanistan and you kind of watch what goes down you're like oh damn you know right or or just kind of like you know i'm, I'm retired i'm out i i'm not interested anymore how do you how do you well, feel about it i mean i was a government contractor for a long time too um oh, really? okay. not doing that anymore but uh yeah i mean still still friends with all these guys you know yeah. and a lot of my buddies are still contractors working at devgrew and stuff and yeah we chat a little bit so yeah you know keep it on the unclass level if you will was that pretty cool <laughs> that it was a navy guy who took out ubl Oh, of course. Yeah. That's the best. I mean, you know. Absolutely. I go second. Everybody says, you know, the flight demonstration team is the Blue Angels and Thunderbirds. And yeah. I say, yeah, Thunderbirds are the second best demonstration team in the world. That's right. Yeah. Next to the Blue Angels, right? <laughs> by, by a long shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. By a long shot. But, you know, you, you brought up something earlier about, Please. Uh, you know, all of us have our training. We all went through this training thing. And I remember, you know, we're, we're down in CIC or whatever, going for a brief. We're going to do a alpha strike or we're going to do something. And, you know, you get nervous and you worry about all the stuff you're going to do and uh but once but once you get going to where you're going it's all business it's not it's it's almost like all that stuff you worry about goes behind now you're trained to do a mission and you do the mission i'm sure you exactly. asked me sort of that question you're know, like you're going up on a live bomb you know you are you crapping your britches or what yeah you know what i mean and but the thing is is that yeah when, the, when you get the call maybe i'm thinking about it but once you get to work you're you're at work. You're just an automatic. You're just doing yeah. your thing. You know yeah. what I mean. You got a good training pipeline, and you're exactly. Just yeah. If you're getting a call and you're going out to something that needs to be disarmed, are you putting a certain song on? Are you listening to? Oh, right. like, yeah, like you got Metallica going down the road as you're right, going down yeah. to it or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, I haven't done that yet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it was even Rob O'Neill was talking about some of the different music that they would put on. You know, and I forgot the song he said it was, but Leon Tackett and Tackett Family Wines. How did you get into the wine biz then? Um. Well, my grandparents lived, so I, I was actually born here in Atascadero. Um, I didn't grow up here. I spent my summers here because both of my grandparents were here um, and other family as well. Mark Tackett was Paso Police here for like 28 years. Hmm. Uh, my other grandfather, um, John Thomas, where our ranch is, was out there. And he's a retired Army guy, but he just he had a green thumb, and, and somebody gave him a bunch of uh, Gewürztraminer sticks back in the 70s, and he stuck them in the ground and... I hope he kept them because that's a Just, fun wine. Well, they're still there. Yeah. Good. So, um, yeah, when you know he passed away a long time ago, my grandmother passed away. So I called my uh, my uncles and said, "Hey, would you guys be willing to sell the property? You know, because I had a lot of memories out there. I used to, you know, run around with my BB gun and ride my mini bike when I was a kid out there. And uh, I just started making. There was thirty vines, and I just started making conversion meter like twenty five years ago. I was still on active duty and five gallon carboys all over my house. Wow. 
and uh, and then when retirement came, I was like, you know, I kind of like Paso. Let's go give that a try. So, how, how does Converge do up there? You know, it does well. I think they've kind of adapted to the area. You know, our <coughs> cool nights, I think, um, do have a lot of a lot of influence, and it turns out to be a really nice wine. So I took a bunch of cuttings off of those and have like an acre of it now. So I do like 120, 130 cases of it a year, and do you, it does it, well. Is it dry? Do you try dry. to make it dry? Yeah, very dry. I got to get a bottle. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, it yeah. Sounds, sounds really I love good. Good Converge. I really me do. too. Yeah. So. yeah. You turned yeah, me on to Sherry. I had not oh, had, like, triple cream. cream. Yeah, triple cream Sherry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember last time, I think last time I was here. Thank God you have plans a little later after this, because <laughs> last time we were here, I think I needed to ride home. <laughs> we really had fun. We we, we, we we took it into the house and <laughs> you know, raided the cellar a little bit. So um, after the Gewurz, what kind of stuff did you get into? Uh, well, then I you know I met John Walter out there, um, and he, you know, he had a lot of grapes. And I, don't know, I started getting into cabs and Merlots and Zinfandels and found a few other um, oddballs out there. You know, some Barberas, and then I got into all the Bordeaux's eventually, um, and do a lot of blends now, and um, have a good time with those. How much wine do you make? Uh, we're still hovering in the fifteen hundred case range, yeah, um, which is kind of like right the zone that I like. It's a specific sweet spot. It is a sweet spot for us. And so. uh, how many different SKUs are you making? You think how many different wines are you putting out? Well, between our Tackett label and our EOD Sellers label, we're almost at twenty. Wow! Um, but it's um, you know it fluctuates every year. So I'll do, you know, anywhere from 50 to 120 A lot of little cases. lots. A lot of little lots, yeah. Yeah. What's wow. Filatus right now? Uh, we're going to probably crack 2,000 this vintage, but typically we've been about... Yeah, thirteen, fourteen hundred, and Bella Luna's been a small project too, right? Yeah, we've always been around fifteen hundred to two thousand. I'm going to take it up a little higher than that, but um, you know, it's. I always say it's better to always walk first before you run. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, how have you kind of managed, Leon, uh, the growth of Tackett? Was it like, hey, just kind of bring on things here and there, or like, how do you kind of manage that? Yeah, I think so. Just try not to, you know, don't call too many distributors. Well, one, try not to distribute too much because um, they they want everything for free. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. So they're kind of a pain. But, you know, we started this EOD Sellers label about probably almost 10 years ago now, and it was to support the EOD Warrior Foundation, and that one kind of put us on the map in a lot of areas. So we do a little distribution with that label, but it's a very small, only six six labels under that and uh you probably have all the folks that do that families that have friends that do that or or people in their family that do that and they just gravitate towards it yeah we're gonna have like 100 of them at the winery this weekend doing that right yeah so now this reminds me a lot of uh what you're doing with the fighter pilot red yeah that's what put us fighter pilot put us in the map it was a well we started the winery you know back in um we planted our vineyard in 98 and uh kevin really wanted to plant symphandel and i just said man everybody this place is known for (laughs) And I mean, I'd rather be, you know, the number one or number two Italian wine producer here instead of the number 350th Zin producer here, you know. And so we planted our vineyard in Cabernet and Sangiovese. And Kevin, uh, he, he grew up around Zinfandel vines. He's, uh, he's a guru in dry farming. And um, he, he just likes Zen, and so he convinced me. He said, "I want to do a Zen. I want to do a Zen." So, our first release in 2001, we did. We took our vineyard, which was Cabernet and Sangiovese, and a little Ruby Cab, and we we just put it all together to make our estate reserva. And Kevin wanted to do a Zen, so I said, "Okay." Well, we went to our friend Frank Norelli, and Frank uh, gave a second crop, um, and. Um, uh, 
we 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 just brought it over here and we fermented it. And I told Kevin, I said, if you want to do a Zin, I get to name it. So I came up with Fighter Power Red, and Kevin thought, oh shit, that's here, not we, go. Sell. here, <laughs> yeah, here we go. Here we go. Crazy stuff. I said, Kevin, just think of this: if we can get one percent of all the aviators in the world, you and I are going to spend our summers in Switzerland. If we can get them all to buy a case a year, you know, it'll be great. Well, our first release was about 110 cases of Fighter Power Red, and it was gone in like a month and a half once I put it on the internet. So Kevin came back with his tail between his like, gosh, we should have made more, you know. Yeah. So that's what put us on. People came in to try that, and they didn't even care about the wine. They cared about the label. It was the label. It, yeah. it was a facsimile of the DFC on it, and I had that little blurb about, um, you know, pilots, you know, they, they have a flavor of life. The protector will never know, that kind of thing, which is true of all of us. Mm-hmm. Anybody and anything you do that, that wants to put their lives on the line, you know. And uh, we just have a different outlook on a lot of things. And uh, so we started that, and, and people came in to try that, mainly just to buy it because of the label. And they started tasting other stuff said, man, this stuff's... You know, I'd get phone calls all the time. Yeah, I bought this for my dad who was in Vietnam or, or World War II, and I opened it up and tasted it. thought, God damn, it's good wine, too. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's what really got us started. So I'm, I'm glad these guys have success with their stuff, too. And But it was the fighter part red that uh, got people coming to our winery. Well, then uh, you got hit up by uh, folks that say, do, do a rotor head. Yeah. And that was, you know, I've always been a good friend of mine, Rod uh, Dykos, lives down the road here. He's, he's a bona fide uh, uh, hero in Vietnam. I mean, you know, guy's got a couple DFCs and stuff, and he earned them. And, uh, and all those guys, helicopters over there. I mean, I had the luxury of sleeping on a carrier every night, you know. Those guys are right down there getting rocket attacks, all kinds of stuff all the time in Vietnam. But but he was after me all the time. And so he gave me the number of the, uh, or I, I told him to have the DFC, the uh, Vietnam Helicopter Pass association give us a call and uh, we'll talk about it and he did and uh, but I just said okay I, I get the story and all that but you know let's cut to the chase here I, I'm in the business to make money and and so how many cases do you guys think you buy and you know he, he came up with a figure and I figured well we could this we'll just give it a shot so we did and I'll be darned it just sort of took off so we have a, a, we call it our metal series now which is the fighter pot red, which is the DFC, and the uh, air metal, facsimile of the air metal, which is on the uh, rotor head red. And those are the only two metals that you can get either being a pilot or an air crewman. Everybody can get all the other metals, but those are two that only air crew or pilots can get. And um, that's why we have those two series, and that's probably the end of it as far as that goes with that. Yeah. Um, Velatus, how did, uh, where did where did wine take you, and how did it take you to wine hell? Yeah, I was flying in Lemoore, as I mentioned earlier, south of Fresno, and not to take anything away from the valley, but uh, in the late 90s, there was not much going on there. So, you know, as a young lieutenant, ultimately, you find your way to Paso, and I, I was fortunate in the summer of 98 to meet a mutual friend of ours, Rich Hartenberger, at midnight, and he, uh, I offered to help him, and he called me a couple months later, and we did our first harvest in 98, and uh, it was, uh, what, 24 years ago, and just kind of never looked back. And it was initially coming over here, I, I really didn't even like wine. Uh, I think the day that I met, met that Rich right? was, wow. I was the driver, I think, for all the other lieutenants. Mm-hmm. And, but Rich popped this amazing bottle of wine, and it just, it, I, could, I could smell it the second that cork came out. I'm like, what is that? And it was delicious, and if I could find a way to help make it, I, I wanted to do it. So, it really, any any opportunity I had, I'd come over and make the wine. Uh, 
well, I think out of those 24 years, I've missed two harvests, uh, 99 deployment, 2003 deployment. But I just I absolutely loved it. And, and along the way, I mean, the winemaking was fun. It was a tremendous atmosphere with all of the winemakers around Paso that everybody was supporting each other. There was this, you know, there really you didn't feel any true uh, competition. Everybody was cooperating just to put Paso on the map. And it was, for me, it was very similar to being in a squadron yeah. where everybody's just trying to make stuff happen. So I, I loved coming over here. And it was crazy low stress because, I mean, nobody's shooting at you. You never run out of fuel. You're typically not on fire. Um, <laughs> it, it, it was fun. Yeah. And so I, I loved it. And I think ultimately 2004, uh, through Rich, found some folks, had a couple extra grapes. And, and we did two tons of fruit in 2004. How fun. was the first vintage. And, man, here we are now. Where'd you wow, get deployed to it? Yeah, that neat. 99 and 03, where'd you go? I mean, 03, I'm thinking like, what, Iraq? Uh, both both years in Iraq. So, 99, uh, Southern Watch there. Okay. Um, you know, I, I struggle to say even combat crews, but there was there was all sorts of things that were, you never, the news would never tell people what was really going on. There mm-hmm. was uh, little cats and mouse, uh, cats and mice games, and there were, you know, people shooting at you all the time. And every from the now, ground, right? From a lot of surface-to-air things. Surface-to-air missiles, uh. AAA, and every now and again, uh, at that point, they'd let you shoot back. You know, one, once out of every 20 times, you're like, okay. You can shoot back. And you shooting guns or missiles from from, from our airplanes? yeah yeah yeah. Uh, we would we would use different types of air to surface munitions like uh, laser guided bombs were, were big in the late nineties. Uh, something called the joint standoff weapon uh, bomblets, as uh, Leon mentioned earlier. The original version had a whole bunch of little bomblets, beer, you know, beer can sized bombs that went off. Oh wow! Um, so we would use those, and then as as we moved forward to two thousand three, the weapons were more some laser guided, but more GPS. Weapons. Is it like you literally press a button and then that happens, or is it like a lot of like you press this button and then go, okay, now I got to press this and I got to aim this? And what is that series like before? an action like that takes place. So, so there are a couple of... You, you can look at it, I think, in two ways. One is would be like a, a pre-planned mission where you have on the ground received a target and you, you plan it. You, you can download all this information into your weapon and your weapon system. The other type would be something like a target of opportunity where you didn't launch with a specific target, but something maybe guys on the ground have now had their troops in contact or they, they figured something out. And so then you would go in and enter information for the weapon. And then, but once you've once you've programmed the weapon somehow, it's relatively simple. Uh, you know, a uh, you know an LGB. It's find a laser guided bomb. You find a target, uh, put the master arm on, put the airplane in the right place, and it's just. Click. One little one little button. Is it one goes. little red button? What color is the button? It's red. It's red. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and it is it's the it's the pickle the pickle button. See for us so. it was just track, stand by and mark. Yeah. Roll dive. <laughs> have your gun sight set. You, you dial in depending on the angle that you're gonna drop your bomb at. We didn't have that fancy stuff. There's just, nothing like the crack of a Mark eighty three going off either. Well, <laughs> it's there's there's nothing like it in the, on the planet. What's a Mark eighty three? It's a big. It's a thousand. It's a thousand, thousand, thousand pound, pound bomb. bomb. Oh shoot! Yeah, so yeah. Mark, straight Mark eighty three was a gravity weapon, right? Uh, but you could take that same explosive component and then strap on either strap on a stuff. GPS kit yeah. or an LGB kit. And it, it's you know I had the opportunity when went up in Fallon to go out to the range there because typically we're we're miles away when a weapon goes off, which is perfect. Uh, <laughs> like I think the furthest away I've ever been with JSAO, I was fifty miles away when the weapon went off. But in Fallon, you go. They take us out to the range with the uh, the seals up there and the EOD guys, and you could you could be you know a mile away from that bomb going off. You're just like, 
Oh my god! You could you could feel it. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It's like I don't oh, I don't want to be any closer than that. Yeah, yeah. Was, that's wild. Wow, I can't even imagine just the nerves and all these things. I mean, uh, when you listen to this and what they're talking about, Leon. I mean, wh- which to you feels um, less stressful, more stressful? Do you compare them in your head because they're flying, or do you guys listen to what Having he's doing? Fly boys drop bombs over his head. Probably yeah, scary. exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. probably the scariest yeah. part. <laughs> yeah, or do you kind of like look yeah. at the EOD aspect of it being a fighter plane? Like, man, like I can't even comprehend that aspect of it. I, I, don't I think know. he's crazy with, with like yeah. balls the size of bowling balls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't comprehend yeah. the stuff he did. I mean, no. I mean, you think about it too, but and, and these guys will test to it. I mean, you write about all the stuff, these guys going out on combat missions to Vietnam, their heart rate was never as high as it was coming back to the carrier and doing the landing on the carrier. Especially at night. The Especially night, at night. The night, land, the night landing <laughs> so you is the worst. Think about that. Here's this little postage stamp out in the middle of the ocean, right? And it's dark. <laughs> you can't see the damn thing. And it's it's doing this. It's moving. And, Since it's a and Navy the ship, half moving. the lights aren't working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I was in helicopters doing it on a, a, even a smaller postage stamp because I was on frigates. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's when the pucker factor goes way up. Yeah, so you got to land on this thing exactly, and and like, isn't it just like a little hook that catches you, or re- how does that whole? Work? And then did you, have you ever missed it? You ever missed it before? Then oh, keep yeah. going. It's called a bolter. Bolter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, also never happened Bolt. to me. By the way, I never missed. Um, Is that right? Yeah. You know, also <laughs> that he's joking or what? Who knows? <laughs> I'm totally joking. He's yeah, yeah. Uh, That's what he's doing. He's not joking. He's just yeah, anybody says yeah. he has a bolter. <laughs> anybody says he has a bolter is an Air Force pilot. Yeah. yeah. There he is. <laughs> Uh, but I, w- I was an LSO as well. Oh, cool. What's yeah. LSO, Sherm? Landing, uh, landing safety, safety officer. officer. Landing, yeah, and yeah. we stand on the end of the ship. There were the guys that, the old days in World War II, they had the pad, they called them paddles. Yeah. And they stood out there and they guided the guys aboard the ship. Now we have uh, the Fresnel lens and the fancy stuff. And, and uh, it's uh, slightly different now, but we're talking to the pilot. And see, the one thing the pilot can't see, because everything's tied to the ship's gyro, he can see a perfect glide slope and look at a center uh, ball, be right on the glide slope and hit the ramp and crash and burn. Because the ship, is moving up and down. The deck is pitching. Probably like and, about and, feet, And the right? gyroscope oh, keeps yeah. the lens constant. So our job was not only to keep them lined up, but when they think that they're flying a perfect pass and the deck's coming up to smite them, yeah. then we'd have to tell them either go around and put some power on or, or vice versa. Yep. And a lot of times they just didn't understand it. You know, they, you know, initially, uh, you know, God, I'm looking at the center ball. Why do why do I need to add power? Because you're about to get hit by the ramp. Yeah, always, yeah. always listen to the yellow so, Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So it was uh, – and those guys uh, – and I'm, I'm sure bulls say the same thing, you know. At night, when you're, uh, you know, when the visibility is really bad, and and you got no other place to go because you're in the middle of the ocean, that's your only land. It's either, it's either, ditch, it's either right? the yeah. deck or the water, because there's no place to go. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, on on a thing that the the crews, the pilots. Love the LSO because he was there to just to mother hand him in when when the time needed to be and it worked yeah. out really good. Yeah, so. most most of the time they won't tell you that they always I won't. Yeah, uh, on the air I won't Why say. Why wasn't it okay? Uh, pass, you know. Yeah, what they what they really call the LSOs on a regular exactly. basis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Blind something rather. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, because every every pass every landing on an aircraft carrier is graded. And yeah. it's the LSO oh, wow. that gives you these grades, and they are, and they're very, very important because ultimately you could be the most amazing fighter pilot or attack pilot in the world, but if you can't put that aircraft safely back on the ship, you're useless. You're useless. Yeah. So they are watching everything. And, and it's and a big competition too. Huge competition. Huge oh sure, competition. it's a big kind of pissing yeah. contest. And yeah. But ultimately, I'll tell you, those dark nights where it is, it's storming and the decks moving, and sometimes you just can't even see it. 
there is no better friend than the LSO who's telling you like, okay, you're on glide slope, a little power, a little yeah. power. Any close calls? How, Sherm? Uh, you mean waving? I almost like anything, anything in the air. Anything in the air oh, with you? Hell yes! Because you're doing these pylons and you're doing. <laughs> well, no, well, well, that's a whole different deal. That's yeah. because I'm crazy. Man. Yeah, exactly. But the carrier thing, uh, you know, it, it's always. Uh, I think that the thing I learned most about naval aviation is if you can't focus it's sort of like the movie with the costner when he gets ready to do the pitch how everything the crowd goes away and now he's just looking at that plate yeah it's the same thing when you're coming aboard the ship if you can't get rid of all the chaff and concentrate 110 percent of your body on flying that airplane meatball lineup angle of attack which is just glide slope lineup and the proper attitude of the airplane so the hook will catch if you can't do those things, you're, you're never going to make it in the Navy. If, if you can't concentrate, those people either dead or never got washed out. Yeah, so if you ever it's find so yourself, tough. we tell guys that if you were ever in any part of the landing phase, if you ever find yourself thinking about, hey, what am I doing tomorrow? Or you're thinking about mom and the kids at home. Yeah. The second you have those thoughts, you got to stop because you're, you're not going to be safe. You have to be 100% compartmentalized and focused or, or bad things happen. Any close calls in the EOD space with you? Um, I was pretty lucky. You know, it's the, my closest, the most scary. People ask me all the time, "Was the most scary point you ever had?" Yeah. We were on San Clemente Island. Um, it's it's uh, military, belongs to the Navy, and the end of the island down at the south end is the Shoba. It's called Shore Bombardment Area. That's where naval gunfire is, and uh, airplanes I've, I've, get I've to bombed go. it multiple times. Yeah, you get, <laughs> they get to bomb the crap out of it. And the EOD guys go in there and clean up the mess because again, you know, he'll he'll drop a bomb. It doesn't always go off. Oh man, because it's always there's this many electronics and this many um, you know safeties and blah blah blah, and sometimes they don't hit just right and it just ends up laying there. So then we go in there and make it go away. Um, but we were getting rid of a whole bunch of stuff the range was hot was cold actually it was hot for us but it was cold for the navy gunfire and here comes a civilian helicopter just out of the blue and he literally hovered right over our shot and we're we're like a half a mile away from this thing and it's, the funny part was we're jumping up and down screaming and yelling you know like this guy's gonna hear us right right and uh, those big fat suits and uh yeah he just sat there right and it was uh we called it it was a um um we weren't doing electric it was a non-electric um shot so basically it's time fuse and so everything was burning you know this thing's going to go off there's nothing we can do about it i'm not running down there because right sorry you guys you're not supposed to be here anyway yeah but last second this guy decides to turn off and he and he kind of gets down around the point a little bit around china point and that sucker went off and you you, i think you could see the brown trail come out of the aircraft (laughs) because that thing just kind of did did a turn around like what the hell was that Uh looked around and then he just put his nose down and took off oh my god we all sat down and we just all cracked a beer and it's like holy shit yeah wow that would have That's been wild. That would have been a bad day in, in paradise right there. How has Sherm, and we'll ask all, all the gentlemen this, how has your um, service, all these stories, this incredible ability to focus, because like we just talked about, Hal mentioned a second ago, if you're going to start thinking about you know, uh, the sweetheart and the kids at home, like that's, this is not the time to do it. How has that shaped your, your business acumen and then your winemaking? How did that shape the winemaking? Well, I, you know, in all honesty, you know, Ke- Kevin, my partner, was the guy that uh, he was the guy that, that that really you know made the wine. I I have a degree in in, in 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 biology, so I read all the textbooks from UC Davis flying 
a load of people across the Atlantic at night. So I'm a book. Is that right? I'm a, so what, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a book guy, and I read all that stuff. And Kevin was always really the main winemaker at Bellaluna, and and when it was just two of us, you know, I'd do the pump overs. We'd swap off. I'd help him crush. We we did this together. We did the whole thing together. We pruned together. We did everything. Just he and I did the whole thing. So I learned a lot from him. And you know, me being the smart ass I can be sometimes, I'd. I'd pop up this book and say, well, you see Davis says, and Kevin look at me and either give me the high sign yeah. or, or a couple of times you go, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Let's try that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but you know, that, you know, so I, I learned really, I, I, I know the, the book side of it. Okay. I learned the practical side of it from Kevin. He was, uh, you know, he was really, he was really the driving force of winemaking behind Bell Luna, and I was just sort of his assistant. And I'd come up with these harebrained ideas sometimes, and my concentration was on trying to get, had to sell the stuff. But, but you know, you talk about concentration. The good thing about concentration is, it helps you do what you have to do. But since I still fly and race airplanes, race airplanes is the same. You got to concentrate because now you're flying at 50 feet with eight other airplanes going around pylons and so you have to have a good overall wherewithal of what's going on around you and you got to concentrate but uh and i love the adrenaline rush i i don't know about leon probably pumped up more adrenaline than than he and i but i tell you you know i think all aviators especially carrier aviators are all adrenaline and junkies i mean it's just i always tell these young kids you know god gave you the best drug for free it's called adrenaline you just have to go out and challenge life a little bit to get it flow and you'll see how much fun it really is i like that show that's pretty cool and that's and that's the truth because now it's sitting in front of tv with an xbox instead of going out and living life right challenging life a little bit so you get that thing and that's why i still race airplanes because coming back after what we did all of us did i mean there's I mean, it's it's sort of you lose it. I guess you might say. And I I love that rush. I love that be able to concentrate and do what I love to do. So uh, that's really it for me. I mean, the business model is winemaking is what winemaking is, and it's two things. You know, it's all about the vineyard. You make good wine, and then you got to have somebody to sell it. Yeah. Or you got to have a way to get people to come to your winery. And if you can accomplish those three things, you'll be successful. If you can't, you're never going to make it. Leon, how is uh, your your past and what we're talking about here and what we're bringing up on Veterans Day, how has that shaped the winemaker you are? Um, I think a lot of it is that, you know, Hal brought up is the, the team effort that goes on here in this town, you know? And that's a lot of what brought me to the to winemaking in general, yeah. especially in Paso Robles, where it's uh, it's about Paso Robles on the map, because Tacka Family Vineyards is not going to bring 10,000 visitors to Paso Robles, you know, a month or whatever the yeah. numbers are these days, right? Um, it's all about Bellatus, you know, Bella Luna, everybody working together, and I kind of learned... I, you know, I learned that in the Navy. Um, Tom Morgan was my first wine mentor here um, out at Casa de Caballos, um, and he brought that same passion. And he's and he was a, um, a Navy doc, you know, in Vietnam, and then he was over here at the Templeton Hospital. But uh, that whole aspect of, you know, being a team player and being part of it, you know, I work with Adam Lazar a lot. I mean, he's one of my best friends here. That guy is awesome. Former Navy vet, as a matter of fact. He's great, crazy. Yeah, he's yeah, he's crazy. Looney Tune. I love um, him. And uh, great yeah, guy. great wines. Guy. Great, great, great wines. wines. Yep. Great partier. Great fun. Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. So oh, he's yeah. uh, you know, he's supposed to come over today. We we're supposed to have a few glasses of wine, but we we couldn't team up. But anyway, it's just that whole thing. And so that teamwork in the Navy kind of played into this whole business model here in Paso Robles and and working together and and making sure that everybody's making great wines here and I think it's working um 
you know, I, got, I was just spent a week in Virginia, and I had everybody coming up. Oh, thank God, there's California wines here. This Virginia <laughs> shit sucks. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's just you get that, and you know, oh, Paso, I heard. Uh, We've been wanting to get out the Paso. We're definitely coming, you know. So it's Paso's on the map, you know. Oh, it really which is. We all kind of know, and that um, the Alliance has done a great job doing that, and uh, you know, and we all work together. So I think that's part of it. So and that's and that plays into the winemaking part. Yeah, I love the props to Paso wine too. I mean, we'll talk to folks from like Santa Barbara or other wine areas that have their own. T- you know, dedicated group of people that are supposed to kind of like, you know, pimp that area yep. for, you know, the members. And even they say, man, what Paso has been able to do for, for its members and the area as a whole is just a phenomenal. I'm glad you said that, Leon. That's a great community. Yeah. How, um, how is, how has this shaped you, your past, your service? You know, you know, I think that everything's been said so far is spot on. And then, you know, as whether it's it's EOD or as a pilot, when, when you are, are doing these high performance tasks, you have there's there's this training and there's a process, and you have you're dealing with you know a thousand different variables, and you know in best case scenario everything goes perfectly according to the plan, but all of our training was such that well it's probably never going to happen that way, <laughs> and winemaking is no different. It's like all right, I'm gonna, I'm going to get great fruit. I'm not going to mess it up. I'm going to put it in a barrel, bottle it, and sell it all. It's going to be great, but. <laughs> And so you, so you have easy this, too. You have this. You have this basic process, but but as we all know, it's there are so many variables yeah. that if you're paying attention, which I think all of us do, based on an operational background. Okay, I've got a process, but I'm going to pay attention to things, and in particular, we're going to, you know, different than probably what we did previously. We're gonna we're gonna smell stuff. We're gonna hear it. We're gonna see it. And anytime there's a deviation, all right, we're going to correct it as soon as possible. And, right. and that's what you would do flying an airplane. That's what you do in any operation is, okay, if something is not according to plan, let's get it back on. And, and so being a, being a process guy, I, I think has really helped the winemaking. I, I learned it from, from Rich uh, at midnight, a little bit from all the books at UC Davis, which I read on my 99 deployment. And <laughs> um, that's so you know. interesting. You're on deployment in 99, <laughs> like in the Middle East, and you're reading Davis books. You're literally are like probably landing and say I'm like flying people across the Atlantic at night and you got to stay <laughs> passengers and you got to stay awake somehow. Yeah. And so I'd sit up in the cockpit and I just Oh, so read. you're doing this while you're flying Sherm? Oh yeah, I did this flying the triple sevens and 767s across the Atlantic. Because it's on autopilot. Night. It's, oh, on yeah. autopilot. it's always on autopilot. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, I, 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 you know, you have to stay awake. You can't go to sleep, obviously. So I just sit up there and have massive amounts of coffee and yeah. Read the textbooks, you know, yep. and make the reports when you need to and stuff like you that. Ever see, we're always hearing these things, and, and the Navy kind of broke this a little while ago. Um, we're seeing these weird things out and about from the, the cockpits. Have you ever seen anything weird, or what do you think about it? Is there, you believe that there could be, you know, these UFOs? I, I, or I, I definitely, I'm, I mean, I'm not a, ther- I mean, a conspiracy kind of guy, but Neither am I. I've seen a couple things I can't see or can't explain. Sure. And... You know, like that famous quote is, you know, if we're the only living people in the universe, there'd be sure be a lot of a lot of wasted space, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. We're the only ones that are here. Yeah. When, when there's when there's, I mean, our galaxy is one in an infinite amount of galaxies. Yeah. So to think that we're the only humans, uh, maybe they're not humans, but 
I, I life, mean, I just think it's crazy to think that we're life, only, but I mean, not just life, like life amoeba form, life, you know, life you know, that's like intelligent getting life in, form. yeah, right, and getting into things, and yeah. and we're really questioning if I mean, because if this is a life, these people are more advanced than us. If they're coming into our oh, scenario, sure. flying their shit here, oh, yeah. they're far more advanced than we are because we're not doing that. No, no, it's, it's gonna be a long time for that, Alice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we're sending Roombas up on Mars and stuff. Right? Yeah, it takes eight months to get there. I've never seen an alien. If that's what you're asking me, yeah. I mean, I wasn't going I've so much like a, Area Fifty One ish, yeah, but I've never seen any, any weird things from your cockpit windows. Uh, plenty, yeah. Plenty. I mean, that, we can, anything that made you kind of go, "Damn, that was some real." That was some real. Oh, shit. for sure. Oh, yeah. Everybody, see, yeah, all, I mean, see it all the time. Yeah, and, and it, it's it's normal. Whether it's we could talk offline about like the everybody's heard about the the USS Nimitz in late two thousand four. Yeah. yeah, Sex Fravor and the boys have, have described it all. But there, there's stuff that we just you don't know what it is, but it's there. Do you imagine it's something that it's? Are there things that maybe the government is perhaps testing that maybe are even kind of you not know that kind of shit? No, I mean that stuff. Not not that. I mean not the stuff I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not the stuff. There's you no saw. physical way that you could have something just maneuver the way it. Maneuvers. Yeah. At least not 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 my aviation knowledge. And yeah, there there's boy, there's a lot of stuff out there, and we like we could give given some of the stuff I've seen. Then you look at you you always look years later because everybody knows there are whether it's the U.S. or or, or different allies, hopefully uh, other other not so friendly countries out there. There there's technology that we have no idea about. Who do we need to be worried about? You guys are all three very smart men of of military service. Is it China? Absolutely, it's China. 100%. I would guess it's China. Yeah, thousand yeah. percent. We had a brief. We had a brief at our at our at our museum, the Stray Warbird Museum. Yeah, I want to talk the about that. Who, the guy who actually was one of the fathers of of stealth. We're on version five with the F thirty five. Fifth gen airplanes. Yeah, I think it's five or six, whatever it is. And he showed all these other stealthy airplanes from every country that's our competitor. And the last one he showed was China, and it looked exactly like our F thirty five and F twenty two. That's yeah. because they stole the plane. So as far as stealthiness. They're the they're our only competition. Is space the next frontier to be fighting and things like that? Or we are probably already there. You probably already look at look at Hal's face. He's like, um, yes, yeah, space is. We're, we're already there. There is a there is a reason to have a dedicated group for that. Although I think the Navy should yeah. run it, but as yeah. opposed to the Air yeah. Force, yeah. Well, now they call the Space Force now, space right? Force. Well, we all saw Space Cowboys, right? Yeah, <laughs> we know for sure that. Uh, I mean, we don't know that was a movie, but right. If anybody thinks that. Space is not weaponized. Sure. Right. Um, What is Veterans Day, uh, the significance of Veterans Day to you, Leon? All the brothers and sisters. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I made a lifetime, you know, friendships. And with all those people, so it's it's all all them coming together. Um, and like I said, we're having a big bike ride, you know, raising money this weekend at the winery. Um, and got a bunch of guys coming from all over the country, and they're going to ride bicycles. We're going to eat pizza, raise money for EOD Warrior, and sit around and do this, drink wine, and and talk shit and yeah. see tell you can stories most of them just not tell true, story yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've uh, had a you, know, you have the EOD wine you got the um, fighter pilot red and the rotor head and I've had your top gun red I haven't had an 07 of that I still haven't opened because I had a couple of them that is a great wine that's a legit wine right that's there. a legit wine you still uh, making the top gun or what we do there's, there's one right in front of you there um, oh I see cool yeah uh, top gun cuvee is, yeah. is our typical our Bordeaux style blend each year yeah okay we, we do you know as you know we do so many aviation centers things just like like Sherm does yeah EOD centric for for Leon um, so we have we have stuff with the Top Gun patch on there as you know I was fortunate to spend just under five years as a Top Gun instructor yeah uh, we do 
yeah, you know, Fox Three. By the Fox way, he 2. won't admit it, but I, I have friends spies in the military. And <laughs> they said Bull was one of the best. And his call sign's Bull, by the way. Oh, is that right? Yeah. What was your call sign? Rug dance. Rug dance. That's pretty. Did you have a nickname? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. What's that about? Where'd that come from? Well, we gotta uh, tell spent, those stories. I spent more time in front of the CEO doing the two step for doing shit that I wasn't supposed to do. <laughs> uh, it wasn't my call sign, but Squatter gave me that call right. sign. Right. Yes. Did you have a call sign, a name, a nickname, or no, no? They call you Leon. Not so much. Yeah, pretty Tack much. Yeah. Yep. Um, there was like two <laughs> things that my mom. Uh, we're gonna talk about your wineries in a second, but the two things that my mom always kind of instilled, and that was obviously hold a door open for a woman, and no matter what, if ever you meet someone who served, whether it's in line or this or that, or if they're in uniform, you thank them for their service. And um, I just really blessed to, to share a room with three guys like you. I mean, honestly, this is so much fun. So thank you very much for for opening up, and I hope that we can do this again sometime. And it's a lot of fun. You know, maybe we get Pianetta in here next year, and definitely gotta get John. In here. He's a hoot. So yeah, yeah, another Navy dude, huh? Another Navy dude, A seven guy out of Vietnam. Yeah, he's yep. he's he's a riot. Yeah, we get too many Navy. If you get one Air Force guy in here, you know he's going to lose the battle. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, this should, maybe this should be a Navy county. Navy centric. Navy yeah, we'll get Adam in here too. You know, he was an ET. You know, poor bastard was on the Arkansas, and then he did Diego Garcia. So oh boy, um, he paid he paid his dues in the Navy hard. Dang, so cool to meet uh, you, Leon. I want to go around and talk about how we can taste these wines. Uh, Tackett Family Wines. Where are you located, and what's the best way to try your wines? Uh, we're about seven miles northeast of the uh, airport so out on the pleasant valley wine trail so we got 12 of us out there um working together um trying to promote our area san miguel san miguel yeah cool yeah so Fun stuff uh, out there i love it yeah we're by appointment only now i mean covid pushed that um on us and now i kind of like it so yeah. we kept it feels like a lot of folks who got into that love it yeah and they're keeping it yeah even the bigger like you know a few other places yeah. out there have kept it as well yeah, so what forced us to do that too it's like it's a really cool setup i it's think cool. we were doing like two or three tasting fees a month yeah during the beginning because they were just everybody came out to buy one yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah it was and i like it so i know what i need to be there so we're thursday through monday give us a call you know do us online um you can set up a reservation harvest treating you good you almost done yeah we are basically we got all our tacket wines in um still have the barrel but everything's sitting in the tank doing secondaries right now yeah up. so we should be barreling up here in the next couple of weeks and be done put it away for the winter Hal Velatus, West Side 46 off Anderson Road. Now, now you're actually in front of Midnight. We are in front so of So now they've they got to go past you to get to Midnight. That's right. So kind of right across the street from uh, Tooth and Nails where yeah. we are. 2985 Anderson there with Dark Star. Uh, great spot. And uh, we are Thursday through Monday. I forget. It's uh, 11 to 5. We Reservations, but I, I, I'll never turn anybody away. So Yeah, same. If you, if you show if up. If I'm out there, yeah, come exactly. Yeah. Right. Just come on in. Well, yep. we'll, we'll, we'll drink some wine together or taste yep. some wine together. That's classier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Bella Luna, we are on um, the, kind of the southern west side. We're in Templeton. Yeah, we're in we're in the Templeton Gap. Templeton, yeah, yeah, one point seven miles from Templeton south. Road. Yeah, Templeton. and um, obviously appointment only. Yeah, we're appointment only. But if you drive up, and we're not slam, yeah, pour your glass of wine, say hang loose for a minute. Mm-hmm. We we'll get to you, you know. and it's cool because you had this um, oh, about a year or two, maybe right before COVID, where you kind of handed you and Kevin, into so many words, handed the reins, if you will, to except the checkbook. Yeah, yes. <laughs> is there still nice. a lot of like decision making and saying the reins, the broom? Yeah, the- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the keys, even the wine thieves, but not yeah, the, yeah, but not, not the, the checkbook. Check yeah, yeah. No, they're doing they're doing a great job. Um, Kevin's daughter Nicole, uh, she married 
uh, Lucas Fan, who's an Aussie, and he's a winemaker from Australia. They both met when when Nicole was down there. She graduated in Allergy and Viticulture. Uh, she spent her time in Western Australia. Met Lucas. They got married, had a baby, and they came back. They live on our upper. We just we bought up a property up here. They they live there. And my son Jimmy is our winemaker now. And you know, I I told him that if Kevin said he's okay to go, then he'll be the winemaker. And and uh, but they all they all collaborate. They all get together and and work work things. You know, and he and he and his uh, his wife Shelly uh, Zanoli they've got my grandson Rocco I'm happy about that and he's going to be a pistol you know as soon as he gets old enough I bet you be are driving f- tractors and forklifts and all that stuff I bet so. you're a cool grandpa uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I imagine they're pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, my, you know, there again comes our Navy training. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. No, sir. You know, but, yeah. uh, um, but no, I'm happy. I'm really happy. The kids are doing well. Lori and I are doing, my wife, Lori and I are doing more traveling now. And, Good for uh, you. We're going to, we're expanding things around here a little bit. And, uh, we planted the upper property. And so we've got more grapes planted and, and, uh, so, you know, we're just, uh, you know. And but you're still doing that crazy flying. You're still racing and stuff? Yeah, I'll probably do that for maybe a couple more years. I'm still <laughs> president of the element race class up there, and I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I always tell, my wife looks at me like, you know, at some point in time, you know, now I have more trouble getting in the airplane than actually flying the airplane, you know, because I'm getting, I'm getting older, you know, and my crew is always putting little steps up for me, mm-hmm. little man steps, I'm getting pissed off at him, you know, and, but it's uh, it's just a great thing, and, and uh, I always tell my wife that when the airplane starts going faster than me, time to retire. Yeah, so. yeah, there you go. Well, we're sitting in this room adorned with medals, trophies from your flying. Was this fun? Was this a fun little? Oh yeah, and I'm glad. Little- I mean, I, you know, Leon, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna do some more drinking together. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We're as Navy guys, we gotta, we gotta stick together and. You know, continue the yeah, continue the march as exactly. Well, thanks for having me, Sherm. As always, you know I love you, man. I appreciate uh, any time you always make time to talk uh, veterans anything, and you've always really you know put your money where your mouth is for uh, for your causes and stuff. So so thanks for having me, and thanks for for doing this. Well, I appreciate these gentlemen showing up. They make tremendous wines, and uh, if you haven't had them yet, you're missing something. Yeah, so. uh, bellaluna.com, bellalunawine.com, bellalunawine.com, or fighterpilotred.com. Oh, nice. Oh, or rotorheadred.com for that matter. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. got it all covered. Uh, and then, uh, what's the? Is it Velatus Wine? Uh, either Velatuswine.com, Velatus.wine. Spell it. Topgun.wine. Spell it. V O L A T U S dot wine. All right. And then, uh, what's the website for you, Leon? Tackett Family Vineyards with an S dot com. Two T's at the end. Two T's at the end. I T T. By the way. Yeah. T A C K I T T. Yep. All right. Did you have fun? I, this is my this first was, time meeting was, you. It was a blast. Yeah. yeah this was absolutely. really cool. Yeah. Really glad I got a chance to meet you, man. Thanks yeah, for coming cool. out. Appreciate it very much. And uh, happy Veterans Day, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank yeah. You thank much. you. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, gentlemen. Hanging around. Give me that sound. We'll get by. We pass on around till the job is done. Get out in the trees. It will simplify good company. So much good conversation. I could listen and learn from those guys just on and on and on. Thanks to Sherm, Hal, and Leon for their time, for sharing where wine has taken them, and most importantly, their service to our country. Happy Veterans Day, gentlemen. Well, for our travel Paso Spotlight, we're talking about another great place to visit, and that is the Australia Warbirds Museum. Located on the east side of Paso, the Australia Warbirds Museum has long been one of the fastest-growing nonprofit museums in California. It's home to a vast collection of military artifacts, 
aircraft, vehicles, and memorabilia. Also home of the incredible Woodlands Automobile Display. It's really a fascinating place to just walk around, whether it's by yourself, with a date, or the whole family. Someone who knows all too well how special this place is, is my man Sherm Smoot, who we just talked to in the conversation. He has taken off and landed here a lot. I mean, a lot of history here, huh, Sherm? I used to ride around on my tricycle at the Paso Airport as a kid. We lived there for a little bit. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you at all. My dad, we lived in the old uh, firehouse out there when I was a kid, about I was four three years old, riding around on a tricycle. (laughs) Well, it is really something to watch one of those, you know, old planes take off right over your head from there. Well, what is so special about uh, the Warbirds Museum, Sherm? Well, you know, it it was started by just a couple pilots, Gary Crippled, Glenn Thompson, up here in North County years ago. And originally, it was just a bunch of group of guys met out there, uh, you know, guys uh, like uh, Dickie Morton and uh, Bob Miller, and they all started just having a sort of like a gentleman's all pilots meeting out there, and then they decided to uh, to, uh, to 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 make something more. And they originally just got together and said enough of this, and they went down and got an old building from uh, the almond factory and put it together and started uh, meetings and started thing and started collecting tanks and Gary Crippo being. Uh, Probably the best parrot in the world. He went out and started collecting airplanes and uh, old vehicles, and they just started growing from there. And they people to build more buildings, and uh, you know, it's sort of it's all local, locally started, homegrown museum here. And now it's grown up to a thing now where we have uh, approximately twenty acres out there, and we're uh, we're trying to develop. Um, you know, we've got a fantastic display of uh, of munitions, of old vehicles. Uh, Herman Fowler brought his. Red Ball Express up here from from uh, Santa Barbara basically just kicked him out because they thought they didn't want any military stuff, and he had to display downtown. So he said, screw it. So he moved all his vehicles, built us a building, and wow. moved up here to Paso Robles. And uh, so we've been collecting more and more airplanes and stuff over the years. And, um, you know, we're in the process now of raising money to build a 250 by 200-foot hangar on our new parcel, to house Betsy Biscuit Bomber, our C-47, and hopefully, uh, you know, we've been turning down, people have been wanting to give us warbirds for display here, they want them indoors, so we've been turning down uh, warbirds uh, because we don't, we can't keep them indoors, we don't have enough room right now, so, Man. you know, it's it's just, we're we're growing and everything's looking good and, and we're just pressing along, you know, people at first, uh, I mean, if you Google us, uh, or we're the number one, or the, you know, other than wineries, we're the number one Yelp destination in the entire North County. Well, it's crazy. And, I mean, you uh, guys have long been one of the fastest-growing nonprofit museums uh, in California. Oh, yeah. A vast collection of, like you said, uh, munitions, military artifacts, aircraft, Dick, vehicles. Dick, Dick Woodland. Dick Woodland built us four buildings. These are three buildings. I guess he's building his fourth one out there now, waiting to get the permit finished up. And he's got a, a auto display. I mean, he's he's jumped on board with us, and uh, I mean, it's just it's just coming together slowly, coming together over all these years. You know, it was a little little just operation, a bunch of pilots out there wanting to have some fun, and now it's grown into this full blown thing. And uh, you know, we've been getting grant money from the Hearst Corporation, and we're we're starting to you know, it's just it's just coming coming yeah. coming around, and it's, it's going to really be a exciting. fantastic museum. I know the kids yeah. love the, uh, the you know, you know the fighter jet simulator. In there. Oh yeah, we've got the F-18 simulator in there, yeah. and, and uh, we're working on uh, 
we're, we're hope to, uh, we, we now have an aviation club for, for youngsters. We gave our first scholarship to a couple of kids to learn how to fly to get their pilot licenses. And so we're starting to do more and more for the community. Uh, we've got a lot of great people that are volunteering their time out there, and uh, it's things are really coming together. Well, they're open Thursday through Sunday. you got to check it out. Uh, you can also log on to eWarbirds.org, the Australia Warbirds Museum. I bet just uh, to know that you were riding your tricycle around there, Sherm, and then now you're, you're taking off planes and landing them there, that's got to feel so cool. Yeah. A lot, a lot of history, a lot of history. Well, thanks for sharing with us, of course, in this episode, and thank you for sharing uh, your love and connection to the Australia Warbirds Museum. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Again, for more, visit eWarbirds.org. Well, what a jam-packed show today. Please take a moment and share some love, appreciation, a smile, a thank you to a veteran today. Our next episode is going to be a blast. We have several winemakers who hail from the Windy City, And there is a certain attitude, a certain vibe someone from Chicago has, and it runs even deeper than just being a hot dog snob. We'll feature some Windy City winemakers on the next episode of Where Wine Takes You, and I'm even going to surprise them with someone coming up to uh, make some Chicago dogs for them, so don't miss it. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and the Paso Robles Wine Country Alliance. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. Where Wine Takes You is recorded, edited, produced by yours truly. Original music on Where Wine Takes You, Good Company, performed by Moonshiner Collective. Make sure to visit PasoWine.com for any and all things Paso before your next trip and follow Paso Wine on Instagram at Paso Wine. You can also follow me on Insta. I post pics and stories from the shows at Adam on the Air. It's also a great way to get a hold of me, ask me any questions, and let me know what you think of the show. Next time you are cruising around on the Central Coast, you can tune me in on your radio. My morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning, for weekday mornings on Coast 104.5. And for Wine Country Radio, the Cork Dorks and more, you can tune in or stream from anywhere. Crush 92.5 or crush925.com. That's crush with a K. Until next time, hold that glass up high. And today, salute the men and women who have served in our armed forces, both veterans and active duty for serving this country and making this country safe and a blessing to live, to love, and to share where wine takes you. And give me that passion, give all and pass on down till the job is Get out in the trees, it will simplify good come. Give me that moonshine, give all and pass on down till the job is Get out in the trees, it will simplify good come. Give me that moonshine, we'll get by, we pass on down till the job is out in the trees, you will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, you will simplify in good company.